Welcome to Whitefield Community Bible Church. I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 John 2.15. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. and We're so thankful to the Lord. Um, it's exciting. <laughs> Can you hear me better now? Is it, is it on now? Okay, all right. Whoosh, whoosh. And uh, just, just amazing. Um, the Lord and the, and the different cultures and the different preaching styles and different, different things that you have down there and, um, and here. It's just amazing what God is doing. Um, and I'm very thankful for what God is doing here at Whitefield. Very, very thankful. Beyond grateful. And uh, God is, this is God's church. He loves this church more than any of us, and I'm thankful for what He's doing there. And if I was to ask you this, I'm sure we would get a lot of different answers. What does it mean for a Christian not to love the world? Not to love the world. Um, if you were to ask uh, different people in different churches and different religions out there what it means to not love the world, you would get all kinds of things. I mean, talk, have you ever talked to an Amish person? Have you ever asked them why they live the way they do? Um, one, of the, one of the things, they have these four main, main uh, values, four core values, they call it. Faith, which their faith is built upon a lot of rules. A lot of rules there, but they got faith. They got family. They believe family is important. Uh, community is important. They want to be good citizens in, in the community as well. But they stay away from the, the worldly people. And, and simplicity is their big core there. So what do they mean by simplicity? Well, that we don't need, we don't need cars. We don't need iPhones. We don't, any amens there? We don't need iPhones. <laughs> Right? We don't need all these things. We just need to live simple lives. Simple lives. And if we live these simple lives, we won't be worldly. That's their whole thing. And so we try to stay away from the world and the dress of the world and the, and the technology of the world and the, and the industry of the world. And we just want to be quiet. What about evangelism? You ever ask an I'm a, Well, what do you do about evangelism and sharing Christ with other people and all that? Well, no, that's not high on our list anymore because we want to stay away from people. We don't want to really mix and become worldly. And so, if you ask some Christians, they'll tell you not to love the world means that you dress a certain way, and skirts are not too short, and shirts are nice and nice, you know, you're not wearing the tank tops and showing the muscles and all that, you're being a nice person, and, and like some of these uh, cadets here, I didn't even see you, I didn't even see you breathe since you came in, I mean, you walked in like, you know, not showing the muscles, and... And all this, don't worry, the gut's coming in a couple of years. You'll have it. <laughs> but it's all about externals. It's all about the outside. In fact, I, I went to this school in Peru one time where one of the professors was hiding behind the wall. And he was waiting to hear the music they were going to play. And he jumped out, Hurrah! caught you with that worldly music. So what is worldly music? I mean, how worldly is worldly music? How short is too short? How tight is too tight? How hairdos? I heard of worldly hairdos. Some of us wish we could have hairdos. You know what I mean? Have them. <laughs> What's a worldly hairdo look like? Can I watch a, a rated R movie? What if I skip through the bad scenes? Is God pleased? How far do we go with this? 
So what does it mean to be a worldly Christian? And people talk to you all about the externals and the things on the outside. And it's all about the dress and the, and the music and the, and the iPhones and whatever it may be. Is that what you have in mind here? Well, let me, let me before we even get into this more, I want to introduce you to Demas. Remember him in the Bible? It's only found in three little verses. He's kind of kind of nice little character to study. Look at Demas the disciple. If you have your Bibles there, look at Colossians 4.14 and it mentions Demas and, and he has he has some kind of acknowledgement of the church there because Luke, the, the beloved physician, sends you his greeting and also Demas. And so we know that, that Demas was known by the church and, and he was and he was able to send his greetings to the church. Not only that, in, in Philemon uh, verse 24, Paul, in writing this, he, he calls Demas, look what he calls him, my fellow what? Worker. And so you see in Philemon that, that, that Demas is a fellow worker. This guy is sold out for Christ. This is a disciple. This is somebody who walked with the Apostle Paul. This is somebody who helped establish churches with Paul, who, who had the greetings to them. He had the, the statue. This is somebody who is a true disciple of Jesus. But then something happens to him. Because hanging around Paul doesn't always have the greatest benefits in the world. And in fact, at the end of Paul's life, he knew if you stuck around, you had a choice to be stick around with me or get killed. So what does Demas the disciple do? He becomes Demas the deserter. Watch this. 2 Timothy 4.10 For Demas, remember who he is, my fellow co-worker, the one that is with me, the one that sent greetings to churches, the one that was by my side, Look what it says here. Having loved this present world. Don't miss this. Demas having loved this present world. The, the word present there is the Greek word for now. He loved the now. He loved the things of now. He, he wanted his safety now. He wanted his freedom now. He wanted his comfort now. He knew if he stuck around Paul, he was in big trouble. But he loved the now. The world now. And so what did he do? Look at verse 10. He deserted me. That's another strong Greek word. Meaning, he left me, abandoned me. He left me helpless. He left me alone. Demas. He loved this present world. And he left me. Where did he go? To Thessalonica. Why? Some say they were, it was a lot easier to live there at that time. He had his freedom there. He wasn't worried about dying there. He could just go and he left. He chose that. Now here's what I think about, and you should think about this too. How does somebody go from helping the Apostle Paul, from loving the Lord, from loving the Lord's work, from being all sold out, to coming to a person who no longer does that, but now loves this present age that lives for just these things now? What happens to this person that goes from loving God to loving the world? Well, let me just tell you, it has nothing to do with his dress. And it has nothing to do with the music he's listening to. It has everything to do with the heart. You see, I'm here to tell you this, and somebody put it greatly, and this is the way it is. A love for the world begins in the soul. 
a love for the world begins in the heart. It begins with a dull conscience and a listless soul. Sin doesn't grieve us anymore like it once did. Passion for the Savior begins to cool off. Affections begin to grow dim. Excitement lessens for participating in a local church. Eagerness to evangelize starts to wane. And growth in godliness slows to a crawl. Why know what happens when somebody goes from a disciple to a deserter is in their heart they start to grow cold towards the Lord, cold towards the Lord's work, cold towards the Lord's people. And all of a sudden they start to love the now rather than looking at things with an eternal perspective. It can happen to any one of us. And oftentimes these are the people that are coming to churches on Sunday but their hearts are growing cold towards the Lord. So what does is, what is John tell us here? This is amazing as we, we look at this, this passage of Scripture. He starts it off by saying this, Do not love what? The world. You see it there? He says, Do not love the world. Now we have to define this before we can understand what he's saying here. When he's talking about the world, he's not talking about the, uh, the creation that we live in and, and people of the world. Be careful with that. People say, oh, no, you can't love the, the creation. You can't love the mountains. Don't love those things. You can't love... No, th- that's beautiful. God created it. We could Or don't love people. No, God tells us to love people. So that's not the world he's talking about. The world he's talking about here is that devil-dominated system whose priorities, values, and views go against God and His Word. What he's talking about is... A world that lives for the now and has no room for God. And if God is in the picture, what they do is they try to fit God into their lives rather than build their lives around God. There's no room for God. There's no priority for God. There's no value for God. And the views are against God and His Word. They can care less who Jesus is. And they build their lives around the now. He says, don't love that. In fact, here's what he says. He says, to love the world, it means to give our hearts to those things rather than to God. It's to give created things an inordinate and excessive affection and attention. It's to become overwhelmed with things rather than God. It's to make good things the main thing. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. These are good things, but all of a sudden they become the main thing. In our lives. And then we start living for the now. It, it, it grabs our affections, our hearts, and everything. So why is this dangerous? Well, look what he says here. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Don't, don't give your life to these things. Why not? Because he says this in verse 15. This is very important. If anyone loves the world, guess what? The love of the Father is not in him. Here's what he's saying. It's in, it's, it, they don't go together. They're incompatible. Somebody says, I, I love God, but I also love now. And I, I love now, and I want to live for now. Well, those things don't really go together. Kind of like bread and butter. Wait a minute. How many eat butter with your bread? You do that, right? Try that in Argentina. First guest we had, Katie, all being Katie who she is and loving people and, and loving and trying to help people, she put out the bread, she put out the butter. 
They looked at us, they go, what's the butter doing on the table? We said, we eat bread and butter. Americans love bread and butter. We like bread and butter. Bread and butter? We don't use butter with our bread. It doesn't go with bread. What are you doing? To them, it was incompatible. You know what John's saying? You love the world and you love God. They don't go together. In fact, the more we say we love the world, the less we're saying we love God. In fact, somebody who really loves the now, something is wrong. The love of the Father is not in them. Really, we, we looked at this, but let's talk about this for a moment. The sure signs of spiritual life. This is amazing. We will confess our sins if we have spiritual life. We looked at that in 1 John 1, 9. We will obey his word, 1 John 2, 4 to 5. That's, that's a sure sign of spiritual life. A sure sign of spiritual life is we'll imitate the Son. We'll walk like Jesus walked. We'll love the brethren. That's a sure sign of life. And here's another sure sign of life. We will not love the world. We will not live for now. We will not buy into their priorities and buy into their values and buy into their views. We will be different. He's saying here, the love of the Father is just, it, it doesn't go together. In fact, the more I love the world, the less I'm showing that I'm satisfied by the love of the Father. And, 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 here, and here's what he's saying, which is amazing. He's saying, choose your lover. Be careful with your lover because the more you're loving the things of now, the less you're showing that the love of the Father is all that you need. You say, what is it that the world offers? Well, watch this. This is, this is amazing. Look at verse 16. This is, this is incredible. Here's what's in the world. You ready for this? The, the, the lust of the flesh is the first thing they says. He's going to mention three here. Watch this. The, the lust of the, the, the flesh. What, what is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the, the, the tendency that we all have, the human bent that we all have, these natural desires that we all have that all of a sudden become more than desires. They become demands. I, I, I love food. Food is great. Amen. How many would say amen? Amen. 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 Food can be a problem when it becomes what? Gluttony. God has given us a desire, sexual desire. Nothing wrong with that in marriage. It becomes wrong when we go outside the bounds of marriage, when the desire becomes a demand and it starts to dominate us. The lust of the flesh, they're speaking of these natural desires that we have that all of a sudden become demands. And we go outside God's will. Look at this, what, John, what Calvin said. He goes like this. He goes, the evil in, in our desires often lies not in what we want, but in the fact that we want it too much. Yes. Gotta have that. And all of a sudden it becomes an obsession. <laughs> I remember I had a college roommate who fell in love. I, 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 forget, I forget his name, believe it or not, but her name I can't forget. Her name was Tia. And why do I remember that? Because everything was Tia. Oh, Tia, 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 Tia. The guy was obsessed. He went from a desire of wanting to meet Tia to, to, to really his whole life revolved around Tia. And that's what he's saying what happens. The world, we start out with a natural desire that we have and all of a sudden it becomes an obsession. 
Somebody says, well, I just want to make it big in life and I want to work. Great, praise God. But then all of a sudden their work becomes an obsession. Or they like to spend and buy things here. Nothing wrong with that. But all of a sudden spending becomes an obsession and now they're in debt beyond what they could believe. It's the lust of the flesh that the world offers. Where it's never enough. We always need more. And we always want more. And it starts with a desire that God gives us. It all of a sudden becomes a demand and then it dominates us. Look at the next thing. The lust of the eyes. Let me tell you something. The eyes are a beautiful gift from God. Amen? I got four of them. I love them. All right? I got big ones too. I got eyes. They're great gifts from God. But guess what? The eyes are windows to the soul. And are you ready for this? And sometimes we see things and we think all of a sudden now we need them because we saw them. And we never knew before we needed them until we saw them. We've all been there, right? I was in Tim's beautiful car and he had this beautiful iPhone holder in his car, which I've never seen like that. It was, I was like, wow, this thing, I'm starting to drool. This is beautiful. <laughs> I go out and guess what I buy? The same exact one, amen? I got it now in my, I needed it once I saw it. I never knew I needed it before I saw it. Thank you very much. <laughs> we all live this. Are you ready for this? You ready for a little, this is amazing. How many of you like this show, Fixer Upper? How many, come on, let's be honest. I love it. We love it. Don't we love it? Why? Because we watch this and look at what he does. He shows the before and after pictures and all of a sudden now we need this in our home. Hi, look at this. This is beautiful. I didn't even know they had that. Can I tell you what I found out there is in this world? I never knew that it was until my stepfather came. I didn't know they were heated toilet seats. <laughs> he said, I love your house, but the toilet seats are too cold. He goes, I got a heated toilet seat at home. They make those? <laughs> How much? <laughs> they really exist. <laughs> this is a this is I mean who invented that? <laughs> who is the guy that came up with I mean, it? Oh girl, whoever it was, who came up with this is the beautiful beauty. You gotta have it. All of a sudden your eyes see it becomes a window for the soul. And all of a sudden things we never even knew. Let me just, let me go on. This is very serious. I joke around, but it's very serious. It starts with a house. It could be a car. It could be a spouse. Watch out. I didn't know there were spouses like that. All of a sudden, I got to have that spouse and not mine. Or families, or jobs, or clothes. Or you want to just, let's be, or churches. Oh, look what that church has. Beautiful. Our church doesn't have that. In fact, the pastor doesn't even know how to do announcements. <laughs> At least this church, the guy knows what he's doing. And all of a sudden, we never knew we needed it before, but now we see it and all of a sudden it becomes a demand in our lives. That's what the world does. The world with the lust of the flesh takes our natural desires and says, you know what, make those demands. The lust of the eye sees things all of a sudden, the window, and all of a sudden now we have to have it and we covet and we live those things out. And then look at this next thing here the world does. It's the boastful pride of life. 
All of a sudden, we start to talk about our accomplishments and we start to try to exaggerate things and make people really look at us and want us and, and have attention on us rather than God. And here's what the danger is with that. We start to identify ourselves by our possessions or the stuff that we have because we want people to put that like on Facebook or something there to show how much they like us. And all of a sudden, that identifies us. I've been there more than I like. When, when we started the church down in Argentina, I let the church identify me. If the church was doing well, then Jeremy was doing well. If the church was doing bad, then Jeremy was doing bad. And my identity came in that. People find their identity in their families. They post all these things. Look at my family, my identity, my identity. Identity is not in that stuff. And the boastful pride of life. That's why I hate listening to the presidential debates. Because all they do is boast about the things that they've done. Look what I've done. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. And this and that. And all of a sudden this and that. Bah, bah, bah. And there are a lot of people who boast about the stuff that they've done in this world. And look what he says about it. He says, look, this is not from the Father. In fact, it's from the world. Look at the people of the world. Look how they boast. Look at the arrogant athletes out there who boast like they haven't gotten what they've gotten from God. They think that their speed is from themselves or from working out. That's all from God. Their athleticism is from themselves. They worked out hard. No, that's from God. They don't give God any glory. They boast about the things of life. And we can become that. And we can make these things and identify ourselves and call attention to ourselves. But it's not from the Father. Here's what one guy says. This is great. We must not define ourselves by or boast in anything we possess or accomplish in this world. Instead, we should identify with Christ and his definition of greatness, the humble, the servant. I like that. Don't let the world identify you. Don't let what you have identify you. Don't let your accomplishments identify you. Let Christ identify you. The boastfulness of life. So here's what John says. What is the solution to all this? Well, watch, watch what he does here. I, I, I love, this is incredible. This should grip our hearts. Look at verse 17. He says the world is what? It's already passing away, by the way. He's not talking about in the future pass away. We know that's going to happen, right? When the Lord comes back and the fire comes back and He burns everything, we know that's going to happen. But right now, it's passing away. Look around. We, we, we built a building 10 years ago and the building is, is, is starting to fall apart a little bit. It passes away so quick. Your beautiful car passes away quick. Your house passes away quick. Things are passing away quickly. And he's saying this, the world, it's stuff, it's, it's, it's passing away. It's not lasting. It won't last. Look around. It's falling apart. And it's lust. I like this word here. Let's look at it again. Passing away. The word is used of a theater of the day. Listen to this. This is amazing. Where back then they would have a scene Right in the theater, and they would put all the props up. And they would do the scene. And then the curtain would come down, and what would they do? Take away the props and set it up for the new scene. Here's what he's saying. The world, the curtain is coming down. 
And those things that you have, taking them away. And there's going to be new things that are going to happen. So why are you going to live for that? It's passing away. Or as one guy said, can you imagine if an investor came to you and said, I got a great investment for you. Invest all your money. In the next three years, it's going to make double. But in the fourth year, you're going to lose everything. Would you invest your money in that? <laughs> and you can't get out of it after the third year. He's saying, don't invest your, your lives into what is passing away. He says, here's what you invest your life in. Here it is. The one who does the will of God. He lives forever. The one who is committed to promoting God's work here on this earth. And invest your life in what really matters. Buildings don't matter. Things of this thing don't matter. Invest your life in people. Share the gospel with people. Allow God to change people. And it's amazing. That's what matters. I tell you, one of the, one of the guys said to me after our, our time, and we ate a lot down there. We ate like crazy. And he goes, you know, all the time we spent together and all the things we did, you know what stays with me, Jeremy? The word of God you preached. I said, praise God. And I thank God for his life because now he's walking with the Lord. He's, he's excited for the Lord. And he's been walking with the Lord for a while. The one who does the will of the Father. That's the one that's, that lasts forever. The one who's committed to that. My, my heart was gripped during the um, breakfast, the uh, 4th of July breakfast. Because I, I ran into a pastor friend of mine who used to pastor the coach that passed away with his uh, two children. And I asked him, I said, you knew him in church. I never been with church with him. So how was he? And he said, you know what? He said, he used to lead Bible studies. His kids were small. He used to lead Bible studies. They were very faithful. But as the kids grew up, baseball started to become the main thing. And as, as baseball became the main thing, we, we hardly ever saw him. He didn't lead Bible studies anymore. He, he came around every now and then, but all of a sudden, baseball became the main thing. And what gripped my heart is they died going to a baseball game. I said, Lord, how easy it is for us, for me, to make a good thing the main thing and miss out on what really matters. We give our lives for things that will never last rather than giving our lives for something that really matters. So John says, don't go there. He says, this is a heart issue. This is not an external issue. This is something that happens through natural desires that we have that all of a sudden become the main thing. This happens because we see it and we want it. This happens because we like to boast and bring attention to ourselves. He says, look, that stuff's going away. You live for me. You love me. You serve me. Let, 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 you, let Be an instrument in my hands, he's saying. Let me use you and watch people change. And that is what's going to last forever. God help us is my prayer. Let's pray.
Father, I... We come before You with open hearts because how easy this can creep into our hearts without even us taking notice. While we make good things the main thing in our lives and all of a sudden instead of being vertical, we're horizontal and we're living for things that won't matter in all eternity. They're passing away now. We see it before our eyes. And one day they'll all be gone. So help us in those moments when we decide to live for those things. Bring this passage to memory again to our minds. And help us with our hearts say, Lord, I want to live for what matters. I want to I be an instrument in your hands to be able to share the truth of your word and to see people's lives changed. So God, here I am, use me. And help me to get my focus off the stuff of this world and to really not try to fit you into my life, but to make you my life. Because as your words say, Christ who is our life shall return. Our hope of glory. So God, we look to you. Thank you so much for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Very hard to preach. Even harder to live. But Lord, we ask you by your grace and by your Spirit to help us. We want to be known as a church that lives for things that matter. So we ask you to help us right now. To make those changes we need to make. They may be hard. But to keep our focus on you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.